Hi guys, welcome to this week's episode of Jardcast. I'm Dan. I'm Adam. I'm Jack. Hello, I'm Rob. And uh, this week we're going to... Uh, we're not going to do a massively long one this week, are we? It's going to be more of a informal chat about our favourite conspiracy theories. Yeah, it's like a brief synapse and we, we more than likely will go in more kind of in-depth shit about it all on the uh, future episode um, but I think now it's just having a brief short conversation really something a bit more informal and right compared to how heavy the last two have been yeah so who is going to kick us off Jack I think this yeah, yeah, one I can you do. are going to lead us off on yeah yeah so uh, mine ties in quite well with another one so um, mine was on MK Ultra. So the actual MK Ultra was isn't really a conspiracy theory because it has been proven. Um, so it came to light in 1975 that this was actually going on. Um, but there is sort of things even in present day that uh, sort of corroborate to the evidence of MK Ultra. So it was um, it's a secret program that was started by the head of the CIA in 1953, and the reason for it was uh, the US were worried that the USSR and Korea were, uh, they had the means to brainwash their prisoners of war and were going to send them over to uh, to attack America, basically. Uh, just rising tensions in the Cold War. Um, so it was an experimental trial which involved US uh, volunteers as well as just civilians. So there's a lot of controversy about them just using civilians instead of just the volunteers. Uh, so there was a hundred over 150 human experiments, all in all, and there was various methods of manipulation between all of them. So the, the most well-known ones were uh, drug use, so the use of LSD, uh, magic mushrooms, kind of thing, to warp the brains of the participants. And, but there was also electroshock treatments that they used later on, and um, paralytics as well. So they used like barbiturates on them sometimes. So most of the research was done at hospitals and universities in the US and Canada. Uh, it went on between 1953 to 1954. Uh, as I said before, with the, uh, the whole volunteers and civilians, some participants were aware of what was going on, what was going to happen to them, uh, whereas others weren't. So pretty dark in that sense. Uh, there was a lot of documents for it as well that were destroyed at the end of the program, which in 1973. So we never really knew the full extent of what was going on. Uh, but we do get the, obviously, the drug thing in that they did find documents. So it was uh, a guy called Sidney Gottlieb. He was a poisons expert, the CIA. Uh, he was the one who approved the use of LSD on patients. Uh, but it was eventually found that it was too unpredictable to be used as a method of controlling his brain. So they, they also experimented with MDMA shrooms, uh, mescaline, heroin, meth, and barbiturates. What's mescaline? And, uh, uh, I think it's similar to heroin, I think. Oh, is it? I think, yeah. yeah, it's a similar, like, uh, like a downer. Yeah. I'll, I'll need... uh, but during uh, the whole project of MKUltra, they had an operation called Midnight Climax which was uh, aptly titled, which, uh, in which the, the CIA employed prostitutes to lure men off the streets into the safe houses where they were drugged 
with LSD and then watch by the CIA to see if they can uh, could brainwash them, basically. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. What a night. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they still have to, I wonder if they still have to pay for the prostitute after that. Or like, you know, do you reckon you get it for free a bit of a discount? If you've gone for like just... a magic world void, you would expect some sort of fucking discount. You get drugs for free, don't you? At least. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's the 70s. That's when like it was like 50 cents for a tab of acid. I did have a look into this briefly as well. Um, and you go on about like some of the institutions that the CIA were involved with knew about what was going on. Yeah. It's just crazy. It, yeah. It's like... But... With MK Ultra as well, it's kind of one of those things where it was a cons- one of the original conspiracy theories alongside one of the things I'm going to talk about later on, um, which got proven true, and then even after proven true, it remains as a conspiracy theory because we still don't know the full picture and the full extent only because of the amount of documentation. Yeah. And there's like a lot of urban myth and... I want to say deep law surrounding it as well. So you've got people who think like NK Ultra still going on today, being pra- practiced through social media and stuff like that. Um, it would make sense. Which, yeah, <laughs> but it, it would make sense, but it's one of those things of we have to start drawing the line between yeah. conspiracy theory based in fact yeah. and conspiracy theory based in paranoia myth. Yeah. Um, but MK Ultra is like, I've read a bit of it before, and it's definitely one of those ones which is interesting because it's a conspiracy theory which has been proven true, but it still continues because we still don't know the full extent of what happened. I'll come back to this as well, but there was sort of sister projects that were under the umbrella term of MK Ultra, as I know I've discussed with you, called uh, one was called MK Search, uh, which I think was like an Intel-based one. It's the same, just using drugs to extract information. And then there was MK Often, which was uh, the use of black magic. <laughs> that was uh, crazy. Yeah. That's in theme of October, spooky season. Yeah. <laughs> black magic. The 70s. <laughs> the 70s were a wild time. We might have to, you know what? That's, talking about October, we should do a Halloween special. <laughs> well, it's one of the main reasons I've got the red lights on. Thank um... it's all of October because it's spooky season. All oh, right, okay. Mm. Instead of looking like just a uh, you know bottle, it's actually <laughs> it's just trying to be a spooky cat girl. Oh, yeah. that, why is it like a slutty QAnon? That's what he's trying to be. Ooh, <laughs> oh. hunt down pedophiles with me, senpai. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, people who are listening on Spotify and the other podcasting platforms ain't going to receive the. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but... I think out the YouTube... majority of our audience is on Spotify as well at the moment. Oh. YouTube exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's the one benefit YouTube has is you can see all the saftness and oh, anyway. Yes. <laughs> so does uh... it look a bit like a Twitch streamer's bedroom at the moment? Not gonna lie. <laughs> oh shit! We should get some purple light in now. Have you got anything else to add about MK Ultra? So, uh, with, with regards to the Operation Midnight Climax, it was, uh, they found it was very poorly managed and that the operatives were basically just abusing it as a, a fact to just get people high and watch what they did. There was a, a quote from a guy who worked at them at the time. He basically said uh, it was an excuse. Joining the CIA was an excuse to basically do a lot of illegal activities and get away with it just because he was part of the CIA. 
<laughs> so it's, so it was scrapped. Um, there was a couple of deaths that were controversial around it as well. So there was a guy called Frank Olson who worked as a scientist at the CIA. And uh, the one one day, I think 1953, he was invited to a party with uh, Sidney Gottlieb who uh, introduced the use of LSD. And he apparently fed him a cocktail of LSD and he was found dead three days later. Christ. So it was an apparent suicide that was brought on by the LSD. But they, the family authorised a second autopsy in 1994. They found that there was injuries to the body that were concurrent with a beating instead of a fall. Mm. So he was beaten before death and then chucked out a window, which uh, CIA operatives who have now retired from the CIA say was a common uh, sort of method for killing to, to get away with it, basically. <laughs> Jesus. So, yeah, it eventually all came to light in 1975, uh, where, where the documents were released. But as I said, the, the, a lot of documents were, were burnt as well before they even got released. Everything so I just redacted. had some... <laughs> pretty much, yeah. They're just trashed. So there was a couple of questions I had to, to open up. Um, mm. So the first was, have the government perfected a mind control method to use on its citizens? What do we think? Fox News. I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> Fox See, News. I, I think that's what links back to yeah. what I said earlier, because you've got that ongoing uh, theory with social media, because that's what they think. Um, it's one of the things just like the offshoot of people who believe in that conspiracy theory. They believe that what they found in MK Ultra isn't so much raised to control people with mind control, but more so behavioural control. And they've implemented elements into that with how new media and social media is presented to us to behaviorally manipulate us. Um, and all of that's meant to link back to MKUltra. I don't want to go too much into it because, to be honest, I don't know much about it. So if I do go too deep into it, it's going to be me starting to talk out my arse, which I don't want to do. Um, well, there's this argument as well to say that like certain social media sites uh, are controlling the media that we see through their platforms. Well, oh, I, I wanted to do a future episode yeah. all about social media and everything like that, which uh, will actually lead up to my most recent decision of getting rid of all my social media, um, as you guys have discovered today while trying yeah. to get in contact with me. Um, but I, I did plan to do a whole entire episode about social media and the negatives of it and the whole entire shady shit, which is going on. Sweet. Well, but uh, we'll, I'll, uh, I'll leave it there and we'll, uh, uh, let we'll, Jack continue on. We'll expand on that then in, in a future episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a linking point with, with that first question was uh, just another question of how would you know if you are being controlled? Would it be? Could it be a sleeper agent situation? Could it be just very sort of suggestive power uh, that they have over you, so it's barely noticeable that he, he wouldn't even think twice? Would you even, even if you're doing things that are radically different, would you even think twice? Because it's, you know, it's just your way of thinking now. I think the thing with that is we've got into a society now where people are more open with how they feel. Because in a sense of if, like, you notice someone, like, especially now mental health has come to the forefront. If you notice someone's acting a bit differently, it's not a cultural, like, taboo to go, are you okay, mate? You're, a bit, you're being a bit of a dick or you seem a bit off. It's more of a... Now people will just ask, whereas back in the olden days it was this whole uh, man up or if someone felt odd, it could just be that there's just like... Because no one ever spoke about their mental health back in those days. 
theory, he was like, if someone's out, they're just odds. Whereas now it's kind of that whole thing of you've got that more freedom to approach someone. So I feel like if you do have stuff like sleeper cells where it's like, okay, we give you a code and you do this thing like fucking Call of Duty Black Ops with Mason, people will actually kind of just be like, look, maybe if someone is being off, they would just tell them. You would just probably interrupt them. I'm not saying that rules out it, but I'm saying like I think mind control probably is a thing, but I feel like it's had to evolve along with society. I think it's one of those things of a lot, agreeing a lot with what was said, but to add on to it, I think it's one of those things of your if you were say under the effects of mind control, I think your peers would very quickly point it out, start questioning your recent changes of behaviour, being like, hey. This isn't normally what you like. What's going on? What's up? And there'll be an engaging conversation, which, even if it doesn't exactly undo it, it at least makes you realise that the behaviours you're displaying aren't your usual behaviours, so you'll be able to pick it up through that. Um, but to kind of counteract that argument as well, you've got this whole entire thing these days in society with normalisation and how everyone wants to normalise really odd behaviours. Some of them I agree why, because it's to do with mental health and disabilities. Other things, it's just absolute lunacy which people want to uh, normalise. And that's what you've got to think. If there is a mind control or behavioural control programme happening and being brought onto us in society, maybe this whole entire idea of normalising these behaviours are part of it. So if you are under influence of it all, even your peers aren't going to point it out because as far as they're concerned, this is just part of a new normalisation coming in. And if anything, power to you for this weird new behaviour you're displaying because you're helping it get normalised. Or they're all displaying that same behaviour so they don't actually consider it as weird. You know what I mean? They could all be under the influence of this mind control entity or whatever it is. To bring in to try and not bring in politics, but to use it as a point, so not going into any political ideology or anything. When you look at how things are today, so such as like, I'll use the one I know for example, like Biden's son being linked to human trafficking and money from like Vladimir Putin's wife's uh, bro's wife, whatever it was, and people ignore it, and it's this whole thing of like. Well, Biden's fine because it doesn't matter what Biden does, it matters what Trump does. So it's that whole thing that they're willing to turn the eye and ignore what's being said from about Biden and like how it's lied and just accepting it. So like the whole thing with uh, Bill Clinton and Epstein, everyone who was class, well, everyone, most of the vocal Democrats were like, oh, it's lies, it's fake news, it's white wing propaganda. And even though he was linked to the going like loads of times, the fact Trump went twice, they were on about that more than anything. So I think you do see brainwashing in that, in that way, people are willing to look, turn a blind eye to whatever agrees with them and focus on something else, because then that way it kind of allows them to have a point. So as maybe it could be a thing, maybe brainwashing actually. The more I think about it, it probably is true. When you look at how the media works with people, they're just swallow it up. Sorry, Adam, carry on. Yeah, okay, the thing I wanted to say is when you think about it, MK Ultra is mainly about mind control through substance, wasn't it, really? Through different kinds of drugs yeah. and everything like that. And maybe MK Ultra itself was a flop, but as we said, we don't know the whole picture of MK Ultra. Maybe the only things they let us know about MK Ultra 
Arbor things, which was a failure, because there's no harm in letting us know what the failure is. I mean, the stuff we don't know is the stuff which was a success, and the stuff which is a success is a way which we get taught in our educational systems now because of how drastically has educational systems changed. Since MKUltra, when you think about it, how drastically has methods of communication changed since MKUltra? How drastically has news broadcasting changed? You've had new media come in. How drastically has new media changed? Maybe the things we don't know about MKUltra because they've kept that behind uh, closed doors is a ways of how they can control our behaviours and control our thought processes and mind control us effectively through how information is presented to us and how we consume the media around us. Mm. Well, if you think about it, they have said that, um, this might have been like an old study, but they've said that, what's it called, social media is as addictive as drugs. Mm, it is. And if you think about it, like really how much people love to spend that time on social media and to spend that 10 minutes to check in and check what's going on. It's a bit of a problem. I know I can speak for myself and Adam with this and like we are a friend's Gordon who's had it where when you come off Facebook, it's that kind of want to go back. And for those first two weeks, it's a really weird feeling because you're like, oh shit, I just want to check Facebook now. I've got nothing else to do. But it is like a withdrawal. You have a weird habitual routine, don't you? Because you find yourself just grabbing your phone, going to subconsciously without realising, accessing Facebook, and it's not until it asks you to log in, you finally turn around and be like, oh, what, what am I doing? <laughs> I've deactivated this for a reason. Um, and it, it's shocking for those first two weeks you stop going on Facebook, how often you find yourself subconsciously going to go access it. It's proper ingrained into your behaviour, like an addict with drugs or with yeah. Like when I used to smoke, the amount of times I'd subconsciously just pull a fag out and light it up. Vaping, the amount of times I'd subconsciously just grab my vape and take a puff. Once it's ingrained into your habits, you don't realise what you you just do it because it's part of your nature. And I imagine MK Ultra, when it's going to be something about mind control and your behaviour control, they're going to have tapped into that naturally. It's like technology and as well. Like, have you ever like gone for your phone knowing knowing full well that it's run out of battery? And then just like got onto it because well, I have, I do it all well, the time. I'm, I'm I remember terrible reading... at keeping my phone charged. The amount of times I've gone yeah. into my pocket, pulled my phone out, it's got no battery, and I'm not. I know it's got battery, so why am I trying to access it? <laughs> well, that's like the whole thing of when you feel your phone vibrate, but it never does. And there's like I remember reading about the ages ago, people are like, there's almost like a conspiracy that people are like actually maybe our phones do vibrate to get us to check them. This whole like ah. Oh, You've, there's no notifications, but we just want you to check it. Because, like, in reality, like, we've all had it where we felt our phone vibrate, but then we've checked and there's been nothing. Yeah. We've all had that. Everyone in the world has probably had it. There's, like, maybe, like, social media is the new MK Ultra, which kind of probably is it. Well, the thing is, as well, you've got to realise that the CIA is still a very active organisation inside America. Yeah. Anything is then. possible. Yeah. Anything is possible. So I said, let's not go too deep into the CIA because you'll get me going off all about uh, secondary governments and everything like that. <laughs> make me turn for yeah. Alex Jones. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my other points that was probably going to go too deep, really. It was just that the, the time scale that this happened crosses over with the JFK assassination, but the, the amount of yeah. stuff you could pull on that is just going to be <laughs> that, huge. Uh... That's something I actually was going to ask you about because um, I've done 
little research on MK Ultra. But on their visit mm. tote, I once again fringe group of the believers in MK Ultra who do believe that the JFK assassination was part of the MK Ultra experimentation, don't they? Yeah, yeah. So so they was, think I was wondering if you knew any more details the... on that to talk about. Well, there's a big well, thing the... with that, wasn't there? Because there was worried. Uh, sorry, Jack. Sorry, Carol. No, no. Because no, uh, no, I remember when. Just... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you go, Jack. No, you go. You go. You go. You go. Because uh, with that Lee Harvey Oswald thing, it's the fact that he got shot afterwards, wasn't it? Yeah. When he was captured, they arrested him, he was shot in plain day. And people kind of have always felt that, actually, if you think about it, what's the way to cover up your tracks is get rid of that quickly. And I know Kennedy had a lot of, like, head bashes against, like, government bodies and yeah. had a lot of issues like that, since it was one of those things of, like, in reality, for it to be that how it happened, it's like, hmm... Does, it does seem a bit dodgy. So, carry on, Jack. Yeah, so it was just that they never proved that he was um, like a participant in MK Ultra, Lee Harvey Oswald. But the, these are the same people who also don't think that it was Lee Harvey Oswald that was the assassin, that he was uh, a full guy. Well, the thing is, though, on that, what you said there, though, with that whole they can't prove that he was a part of MK Ultra. When you think about how many people they must have drugged and stuff like that yeah. they're not going to have a full record like the 70s was a wild time of the red menace there's <laughs> like people are going to be like they're not really going to pay attention it was that whole like government interference at its peak yeah so it's the they destroyed the document so. yeah so see we talk about this could be and i cannot picture anything else but the opening to pineapple express <laughs> <laughs> because that's what they were doing at the beginning of that film, testing weed on soldiers. <laughs> yeah. well, that's, it's meant to be MP Ultra, isn't it, at the start of Pineapple Express? Well, that's what I yeah. thought it was, but, yeah. like, oh, it's just funny. <laughs> well, I remember watching a video on YouTube. I'll try and find it so you can link it, and it was basically showing British soldiers, soldiers, I think in the early 60s or early 70s, on LSD. And it just shows them like absolutely like failing to do orders, like they've got their guns, they're meant to practice this like bayonet charge, and like it's just failing. And it's like one of these things that no one really ever really thinks about because they're like there's actual documented evidence of this. I'll try and find it, put a link in the description. But um, we did it as well. But obviously, when drugs started becoming such a big thing, it was this whole oh well, let's try it on soldiers because in reality, it doesn't really matter. I think but I it suppose was kind maybe. of the same um, like thinking as like as Hitler because well, yeah, the, German you have the, German army, the German army used methamphetamines on the battlefield all the time to oh, heighten yeah. their senses to make them better at fighting pain suppression like it's fucking crazy well, so it's kind of certain sense, things that are it? proven to work but weather mind control is another thing it's one of them, isn't it? That's where my topic crosses over nicely to uh, to Adams. So it was uh, the question was, was for this: Is this being done internationally, uh, as it was suspected? Uh, well, so yeah. I... Sorry, carry on. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> He's eager. Go on, Russ. Yeah, no. I, oh, it, it kind of was because didn't it cross over to Mexico and Canada with the CIA actually doing it unofficially? But then you yeah. also had Britain testing on its soldiers as that. I know, obviously, part of that time you would have had countries such as France and, like, West Germany who would have been on, like, the American side who would have probably worked with it. 
because obviously after World War Two, the threat of communism was so massive in the world that anything kind of was on the tables, really. Like you had Operation Unthinkable. Was it unthinkable? Yeah, to invade like the USSR after World War Two by using the German army. Like, boy, people were ready to do anything to stop communism. So it's, I kind of think that anything you say about like MK Ultra kind of could be true. Really, like they used everything of their means to try and stop communism, like bats with napalm jackets to stop like the Viet Cong. You know, nothing was off the table of these days. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? This is you've, you're looking at an organization within the wealthiest country on the planet. Like mm. they've got as much resource, they've got so many resources at their disposal that you know you can't dis you can't disbar anything. <laughs> I think I read yeah. something about the. Um, it was the guy who, who came up with um, like splitting the atom. Uh, so oh, he, yeah. the, the, he he started working for the CIA in, in America, and um, he said like, "What's my, what's my budget for this? What scale have I got?" And they they just said, "It's forget it. If it's money, you need just use as much as you want. Just you can just keep keep using." It. There you go. It's, it's unlimited. Fill in this pink so slip my... every time you need something, we'll sort it for you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Well, suppose so, if yeah. you have to... Sorry, carry on, Jack. You carry on. No, go on, go on. No, no, carry on, carry on. Finish. You'll go. I'm, I'm, I'm finished with my point now, so uh, yeah, go ahead. Nah. I was going to say, if you have come back off like the the backbone of like the world's most worst war in human history, you are willing to try anything to stop another one straight away. Really, yeah. if you think about it, it says whatever's on the table goes. But then you had a cold one for the next what? 30, 40 years. <laughs> wasn't it, like, it was about 46 years, wasn't it? Something stupid. 91, 45 to 91. But is it still years. going on? <laughs> That's another conspiracy theory. <laughs> so, well. we've spoke about MK Ultra. <laughs> uh, we've, we were going to call this, as, you know, we've done half an episode on MK Ultra. So I think it's time we move on to the next one. So should we just do what? Like, do you want to do yours, Dan, and then me and Adam could do ours next week if you want? I'm not. I'm not bothered. If you guys have got something to talk about, then carry on. Because I did the uh, all the poaching and stuff, so I'm happy to learn in this episode. Well, with mine, it crosses over quite nicely with the experimentation on prisoners of war to Unit Seven Three One. Yeah, so if we might as well keep it linked in that case. And to be fair, that's a, a um, Operation Paperclip, so we could just do this as one big Red Menace Cold War <laughs> episode, really. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, so um, I wanted to talk about Unit 731, which is something I've recently been learning and reading about, so I'm going to throw out a bit of resource for people to read on, because um, I came into this subject knowing, like, very little. The only reason I know anything about Unit 731 previously is because of it being uh, dropped before in podcasts I've listened to before, and also because of Russ talking about it briefly, but I've never properly read into it and what it was about, what happened there, etc, etc. So a book which I found, which is quite a good starting point, it pretty much lays down the foundation of the who, what, where, pre, during, after, everything like that. 
um, and leaves a lot of resources for you to do further reading afterwards. So um, for those who are on YouTube, you can see me holding a book up here. Um, and for those on the more podcast sites, um, it's called Unit 731, The Forgotten Asian Auschwitz um, by Derek Pua. Um, that's spelt P-U-A. Um, and it's quite a good book. So just to give a bit of context behind Unit 731 first before we go into the book itself. Um, Unit 731 was a biological and I can never say the words. So I'm just going to say bacteria-based uh, warfare research facility, which was um, controlled by the Japanese in the province of uh, Harbin in China, uh, in the Pink Fan District. Um, and what they did is they experimented on a lot of political prisoners, prisoner of wars, and the local populace. So if you was just a Chinese citizen in that local area, it would have been not out of the ordinary, and it's horrible to say that, but not out of the ordinary for you to get picked up by some imperial Japanese soldiers and taken to this uh, experimentation facility to have one of these experiments um, conducted upon you. Um, and just a brief explanation of some of the things they did. They do things such as... Um, taking these prisoners out on dead code winter nights to force hypothermia. If it wasn't cold enough, they'd be putting your hands and feet or limbs coated in water to help force for hypothermia to come along. Then once you are subject to hypothermia, they would experiment in different ways in which they could cure the hypothermia without having to lose the limb, or if the hypothermia is too bad, the ways they can cut off the limb without it killing you. Uh, that's just one of them. Uh, other things would be to purposely infect prisoners with different kinds of diseases. Some of those diseases are things like cholera, uh, plague. Um, have a quick look. There's actually a nice list in the book. Um, but and syphilis all sorts of one of them as well. I think syphilis was one of them, yeah. Um, <laughs> Jesus. It's going to take too long to look through it, but if you get the book, it tells you everything in the book. Um, and what they'd do is they would pretty much, at different stages of infection, they'd get prisoners and do live autopsies on them so they can see at what stage during infection what that virus is doing to your body. So that way they could have a proper record collection of if they was to do this form of biological warfare or bacterial warfare, uh, they know how long it's going to take to spread and kill someone. Uh, they'd also do things of putting loads of people together in a cell, have one person infected with a disease and keep a record of how long that disease was spread to everyone else. Um, they experimented with how they can get these uh, diseases out there. So one of the things they'd do is get fleas with the bubonic plague, put them in a clay bomb and drop this clay bomb in a village in a quite centralised area, so if there's a place where they know there's food stocks or something like that, they'd drop the clay bomb there, so that way the uh, fleas would then get into all the food and everything like that, and effectively start spreading the plague from there. Um, they'd also try things of getting the bacteria into the local water sources, so there's stories of Japanese soldiers who infiltrated villages who were still under Allied control, and they would infect the local uh, water source with things like cholera, um, 
and dysentery, dysentery is another one, and dysentery, and then sneak back out and then just see how long it took that village to effectively get wiped out from this disease, which was under allied control. Um, oh. that's, just, that's just touching the surface of some of the stuff they did there. Um, the reason why it was once classed as a conspiracy theory, like MKUltra, it's one of these conspiracy theories which are now debunked, we now know the truth behind it, is because when World War II first came to an end, um, there was both Soviet and American interest in the research and the findings within Unit 731. Well, wasn't and, it liberated uh, by Soviets? It was liberated by the Soviets, but because uh, all the war trials, uh, war crime trials were being done as a joint effort, uh, the Americans were obviously involved. And this is where you kind of get some of the early tensions with Russia and America. Um, obviously, there's loads of other things going on, but this is like one of the moments where it's evident. Because even though the Soviets captured the facility, they was only able to trial 12 officials from the facility. The rest of the uh, doctors, scientists, off officers, everything like that was under American control. And no one at the time knew what happened. These people just disappeared. Uh, what did come about is it turned out a lot of these people who just disappeared was actually reintroduced back into Japan in positions of power. Um, I can't remember who it was now, but there was one of the scientists who worked at Unit 731 who was found working as a university lecturer in Japan. I can't remember who it is, but I remember the controversy around it is because when he was caught, well, when his students found out, he was like nominated for like a, a prize in like the science sector. And obviously his students were like, well, no, this man has done very sections on people then like shit like that, like try to replace their blood with seawater and you're giving him a prize for science. Like you can't really do that, really. That's another experiment they did. They oh, uh, would inject seawater into your blood to see what effect it would have on the human body, oh. as well as um, getting just needles full of air and injecting your veins with air to see what impact that has on your blood system. Just the Japanese Dr. Mengele then, basically. Yeah, yeah, it is compared to that. Um, it's the reason why they call Unit 731 yeah. the Asian outfits. Um, but a lot of, but um, it's never been confirmed. But it's heavily incinerated that a lot of these uh, officials and scientists and everything like and researchers who ended up in the hands of the Americans, they pretty much signed silence deals with them, where pretty much the American government, American government would do as much as they could to hide what happened, hide what's going on, and pretty much put them in nice, safe, and cushy positions in return to pretty much have all the information they possibly could have of the foundings of Unit 731. And also some of these scientists, uh, which will lead on to Russ's later Operation Paperclip, went on to carry on working for America as well. Um, <laughs> and it was a huge thing which did happen during the Cold War, where the Soviets did kind of use this as propaganda against Americans, because the Soviets would turn around and go, look, we got these war criminals, and we trolled them and punished them. The war yeah. criminals America has had no no justice has been dealt. Because you have the Kabarosk yeah. trials. Yeah, but it's like, this is what capitalism does. Capitalism lets war criminals get away with the injustice they've done. And obviously the USL, well, USSR, Soviets, they went to town with that as propaganda. Um, and the reason it's considered conspiracy theories is because for the longest time, 
America stayed quiet on this when anyone asked America about the scientists and the findings of Unit 731. America very often denied its existence. Um, you've got cases where witnesses came forward in America, the American prisoner of wars who were at Unit 731, who came back to America, who wanted to speak out about the experiments the Japanese did on them and their peers. And the American government were like, no, that's a lie. That's a communist who's telling you that. That's a lie. So, yeah. Um, it's only been in like the past trend, I say about 30 years really, since the mid 80s, early 90s, where both Japan and America have properly started to acknowledge Unit 731 as a thing, and it's now more openly talked about. Um, so it's like a lot of things, it's only recent what we're finding out about it, considering probably how long ago it happened, it's quite recent. There's a certain amount of time, though, things are allowed to remain classified and stuff, isn't there? And then after X amount of years, they usually reveal certain things. They're, they're meant to, but it's yeah. like that, what we talking about with MKUltra earlier. They're only going to let you know the stuff which ain't going to cause harm. It's like all uh, the UFO conspiracies and stuff that come out of yeah. America. The, the thing with the Soviets, I want to pick up on this, though. The Soviet thing with uh, Unit 731 is when... Because the Japanese were terrified of communism. So it's after when Unit 731 was fought by the fire into the Soviet hands, uh, it was part of the deals aboard um, that big, oh, what's that, the battleship where they signed their peace deal? One of the terms about it was basically how the Japanese, because they were very, didn't really want to surrender. When the Americans turned around, it was like, right, you've got to surrender. If you don't, we're just going to keep bombing you to existence. And then the Soviets will be brought into the peace trials. And obviously, this is after Berlin had fallen and you had all the atrocities happening in Berlin. So the Japanese were terrified of it. And it was part of a bargaining tool was about it was they was like, well, how about we give you some of our top scientists in exchange? So it kind of comes to that weird thing of where America probably knew what it was accepted. Well, I'd say definitely did. But a Jap the Japanese definitely played it as well. Because obviously these people were high in like royal favour of the Japanese emperor and stuff like this, didn't really want to be punished and didn't want their islands partic like split up like Germany started to become. Because at the end of the day, like the so the Japanese were terrified of communism, because obviously communism is against like royalty and obviously the Japanese were like revered. I think that's the correct word. Their emperor. Yeah. Well, they're anti-monarchist, aren't they? Japanese? No, communists. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look what they did to uh, the um, the Tsars and stuff. Nicholas. The Russian Justice Revolution. for the Tsars, yeah. But yeah, so that's one of the main reasons why. Took basements and shot them, just because they were them. Well, that's, well, that's, uh, that's another conspiracy theory of why they were shot. Mm. <laughs> yeah, um, to bring you back to the book, um, of, and why I suggest people to read it, really, um, so the author, uh, Derek, I'm going to pronounce, botch pronunciation again, uh, Derek Pua or Pua, um, he was raised in Hong Kong and he first kind of learned about this stuff um, because both of these grandparents who were Chinese had suffered through the kind of um, terrible things the Japanese did to the Chinese during occupancy in World War II. Um, and he goes through about how when they do visit the, what's the name of the province again, the uh, Harbin province, um, his grandparents pretty much tell him about Unit 731. 
Um, and at that point, units in the free one wasn't taught in educational books or anything like that. And that was the first time he heard about that. And uh, you could still go and visit the site of Unit 731. It was just not acknowledged for what it did at the time when he was young. Um, unlike Auschwitz, where you go to Auschwitz and it's acknowledged that it is a experiment slash death camp. Um, Unit 731 at the time wasn't recognized as a biological warfare experimentation center. Um, and it talks about how that set the author off to pretty much research further into it. And what this book does, it does a nice thing of it sets up the nice context of giving you a lot of uh, information first about Shiro Ishii. So Shiro Ishii was the lead doctor slash researcher of Unit 731. Um, he was one who conducted most of the experiments and led the experiments and suggested to the Japanese government for such a research uh, facility to be open. And he was also the one who pretty much... Um, suggested to the Japanese military to start such a program, despite the fact the Emperor of Japan said that he did not want Japan to have a biological warfare division. He was the one who convinced them around to say it's not for the purposes of attacking, it's for the purposes of defence. And effectively lied to the Emperor of Japan, but that's an entirely different story. Um, and it goes through the backstory pretty much about him learning in school, He's what he did in university, him going on a tour around Europe and America, visiting loads of different universities who were also researching biological weapons when he shouldn't have been. Um, and him setting up the foundation, setting up the research centre, and then he goes through all the experiments. And the book kind of nicely ends talking about the uh, post-war denial of the existence of the research facility and what's happened to the scientists from it. And it also leaves with some nice uh, witness testimonies of people who have, like, survived some of the experimentations and some of the things that are going on. So you've got this one. I did have it earlier. and went off the page like an idiot. Um, but there's an area which is known as doo -doo -doo -doo, the Decaying Leg Villages. And it is a set of villages which was hit by some of the biological weapons Japan had. And even more than 70 years down the line, the biological weapons still have an impact in those areas where you will get adults who've been born in the most, like, past 30 to 40 years still suffering from decaying leg syndrome, which is a, a side effect of one of the biological weapon attacks. And what that is pretty much is, even though you're perfectly healthy, your leg will just start decaying like you're dead. Oh. Yeah. Um, Jeez. And it talks about those, what they call the decaying leg villages. And they've got loads of uh, witness testimonies from people who were alive at the time um, of Unit 731 being operational, as well as people who are living in villages now who are still impacted by the biological weapons. And it also shows you a nice little map in there of all the known biological weapon stashes, because what happened was when it was getting close to the end of World War II, and some of the more intellect, well, some of the intellects within the Japanese um, army knew they was going to lose and knew they was fighting a losing war, started to hide some of the biological weapons across China. Because they're like, well, if we're going to lose, we can't be found with this. So just hide them, just dig them underground and hide them. And either someone will find them and they'll go off, brilliant news, or no one will find it and we can deny the existence. Um, and even today, there's a joint effort, actually. It was back in 
95 or year 2000, can't remember the exact year, but there's a joint agreement with China and Japan at the moment where if China finds one of these biological weapons hidden, Japan will come over and help disarm it. But the issue you've got is most of the technology we have today is still not sufficient enough to disarm most of these biological weapons. So they have to pretty much locate them and just cut off the area and go, right, no one's allowed here. It's too you know dangerous. Who, I know who they can send in to actually find those. Who? Tony Blair. <laughs> yeah, he's a knack for it, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> he has a knack for uh, finding weapons of mass destruction. He, he does. Um, but there's no, something man, else that sounds... I'm lead up on that. Shocking. Um, because they go about how something in recent history is quite recent where they started to build a new factory. It was like a factory or apartment block in China. And as they were setting up the foundations for the building, they didn't realise one of these biological weapons were there, and they set off the biological weapon, and it did cause quite a few people to die from it. <laughs> um, and that was quite recent. Um, can't seem to find it. Um, I think this is it, remnants of Japanese chemical bombs. So this treaty was signed by China and Japan in 2003 to do the chemical weapon, biological weapon cleanup. Um, no, at least I can it's agree estimated. On it's estimated in 2004 that the Japanese army left behind two million unexploded chemical bombs throughout dozens of Chinese villages and provinces. So they've yeah. done that knowing full well that China might possibly pose a problem in the future. Because... <laughs> Maybe. They've certainly got their own back with uh, man-made COVID. Another... Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. This is how recent Another conspiracy uh, theory. <laughs> the commie this, this is how recent these things are still happening. So this is a, another good thing about this book. At the bottom of the page, those on YouTube can see it just there but at the bottom of the page it tells you pretty much the source of information where they've got stuff from so if you ever want to read further into it you can go and do it which is why this book's pretty good it's a pretty good read but uh this is from an article called gas bomb cleanup continues in the china daily dated september 13th 2003 so that's only 13 years ago well, 17 years ago this happened but pretty much there was a disaster in we're going to botch your pronunciation again I think it's called a Kikiha City, where construction workers uncovered a metal drum and unwittingly opened it. The drum was filled with mustard gas, and 34 people were sent to hospital. There's one fatality, and all those who came into contact with the gas experienced symptoms such as headaches, difficulty breathing, and sores. So, even in recent times, they're still finding biological weapons just hidden, biological and chemical weapons hidden along around China, thanks to the Japanese. Um, and like I say, it's one of these conspiracy theories which are now debunked because we have all the information available. America's now finally come clean and we'll talk about it openly. Japan are still quite reluctant to talk about it, but we about a lot of World War II anyways, but they at least acknowledge its existence now, which is a good step forward. Um, but once again, like MKUltra, it's one of these original conspiracy theories so it's interesting thing if you've never heard of unit 731 this book i'd live by is a good starting place but it's definitely not the most conclusive source it's one of those things if you want to read it and after reading it 
go for further research and this book will give you all the sources to go and do that further research in i might have to get that book to be honest yeah i was going to ask you about the um the denial kind of thing because i know that there's still a lot of controversy about the whole uh, Manking, uh, nanking massacre which, uh, yeah yeah so it's a weird one only because um how do i word this Japan seems to want to refuse to acknowledge a lot of what they did in World War II. It's weird. You've got these two kind of drastic differences where Germany will nonstop talk about, educate, and make people aware about everything the Nazi regime did in Germany. But when it comes to Japan, they seem to not want to remember back to that imperial Japanese era. They just want to leave it behind. And in doing so, they don't really talk about it or educate um, their, I don't want to say children, but their populace much about it. And they do try to often just curveball around people do ask them things. And the Rape Nanking is a great example. Whenever they're asked to apologise about the Rape Nanking, see if Unit 731, the book does go into it, um, whenever they're asked to apologise for what happened at Unit 731, they won't say we are sorry for the atrocities we did at Unit 731. It will be us, Japan as a country, acknowledge what we did in World War Two. I, I want to step in there, sorry, yeah. just because um, actually what they do is they just they see it as shame. They just don't apologise. It's exactly like Rape and King is recognised by the Japanese government. Same of Unit 731, because I believe it was the 80s, it was either late 80s or early 90s, the Japanese government recognised Unit 731, but they don't apologise, but that comes yeah. down to the way that culture is. And really, it kind of does make a point of, I've, when I've read like testimonies from this to this day about it, like people who survived, they're like, not survivors, like people who were there in the medical profession, they're like, well, why should we apologise for something that's happened that's a new regime. We lost the war. We were nuclear bombed. The only country in human history to be nuclear bombed. Why should we now apologize for something that we've moved on? If you want an apology, then maybe you are focusing back. And it's that shame. Japan has admitted what they did was bad. But what's an apology going to do now? The thing yeah. is, the thing you have to take into account as well is you've got different people in power. You don't have the people in power that did those atrocities. So yeah. why should they yeah. have to apologize for what they yeah. did? Well, that's the reason I said it's quite interesting when you have the two contrasts with Germany yeah. and Japan, because Germany still yeah. quite often apologise for what the Nazi regime did, well, the, even though you've got a complete different political system and culture in place in Germany, while Japan, same situation, complete different reaction. Yeah. But you've so got to remember, though, with Germany, though, they were still punished up until, like, 30 years ago. Germany was still punished for the crimes it did. Like... Like people's grandparents committed that crime and they were being punished for it. That's the thing, though. With Germany, it was that whole their country was occupied by foreign powers for about 40 years after it, whereas Japan was left to its own abroad and was actually like to sound weird. So Japan losing that war is probably the best thing ever for Japan, yeah, because if of they... how much their thing was added. Well, that's it, they got let loose. Well, say let loose let free of a lot of terrible things they did and that was only because if we bring it full circle of it all again because of a red threat for red scare um obviously with well, how close to russia and korea japan is there is always that constant threat of if we do punish japan too hard 
it can be quite feasible that Japan may become opening to communism, even though they're afraid of communism right now. We shouldn't really give them that opportunity to actually 180 on that, go, you know what, maybe these communists aren't too bad if America's looking to punish us harder than the communists. communists. I don't want to interrupt there, sorry, because I kind of don't agree with that, though. I think the thing with the actual issue of Japan during the war is, so it's for example, when the Russians captured loads of Japanese prisoners, average time, I think, from what I remember reading was about nine months they were kept prisoner. They were literally transported, did a project and set free. Whereas the Germans was like, I think it was like the 60s, if not early 70s, where they were still prisoners. The thing with Japan in the war is they kind of didn't really, they spread out, but a lot of their atrocities weren't against anyone else. So like yeah. Britain didn't really see much like, okay, we might have lost, I think it was uh, like Malaysia or Singapore, like when we lost Singapore, Australia, like if you look at them, they hate the Japanese. Like when at the time, like a lot of old people now who lived during that time still have very anti-Japanese feelings because of the propaganda. But after the war, when it kind of ended, a lot of people's focus was on Germany because you got to think Germany had basically come up from World War One in the space of 30 years, about 20 years, had become this superpower again and now caused this other issue. And basically, people knew about the Holocaust. London had the Blitz, the French saw the regime. Russian basically was an extermination against them. It was all eyes on Europe, whereas Japan was kind of that annoying sidekick, sidekick who no one really cared about but have to deal with him. Because, no, yeah, it does tie into... That was Italy. <laughs> Italy did fuck all. <laughs> but well, that's they one did of the annoying in... siblings. <laughs> yeah, but they did try and deal with Japan in certain ways. But I think it's that whole thing. If Japan was America's puppet, really, because after the war, it was like down to America to see what Japan could do while they the flooded thing, it with the I car think... industry and stuff like that. Well, that's that's exactly what they did. They took they took them all on board. It's quite they yeah. took Nazi scientists on board for a, a Manhattan project, did they not? Yeah. Like, they're using the enemy against the enemy. It's really strange. Uh, you're talking about uh, Germany's attitude towards stuff like apologising and whatnot. Um, I've got a, an article here from the New York Times. Uh, when was it dated? July 23rd, 2020, so that's this year. Uh, a 93-year-old defendant was convicted of 5,230 counts of accessory to murder one for each person's death while he was at the Stutthof camp, but was tried in juvenile court because he was 17 at the time. I mean, that's a fair point. If you that is the age of your crime, then maybe you should be. But I think that's a whole other topic. Like, apologising for stuff of your past is a bit too much now. We've got past the point yeah. of World War Two. We shouldn't apologise for it anymore. Yeah, I, I think I there's... I think there's different ways to deal with different situations. Um, and I think one of it is we're at that point now where what does naming each individual atrocity and apologising for each individual atrocity really brings to the table? It doesn't bring anything, really. If, if it was 50, 60 years ago or later, then diff different story, obviously. But... I hate to say it because it does sound like it really condescends everything which happened in World War Two, but it is one of those situations of get over it <laughs> in a horrible way. Yeah. It, it, it's it's happened. It was a tragedy. It was terrible. 
Japan have turned around and apologised for doing atrocities during World War Two. It's just people want the pedantics of them listing each atrocity and apologising mm. for each atrocity individually and it's nitpicking I think that. Well, this is, but that's my opinion. This is what you see, we're seeing it everywhere. I mean they're, tr they're asking Britain to apologise for Winston Churchill's racism and it's just like Know what? Fuck it. Hashtag Japan is over party. Hashtag Reaper Nanking is not okay. <laughs> Cancel Japan. Let's do it, lads. <laughs> yeah, as you say with the amount of time passing, it's like the whole thing about cancelling Genghis Khan now. Yeah, it's like... I've heard about this. What? Yeah. Like, how many hundreds of years was that ago? Even. Oh, it's fucking ridiculous. About six, wasn't it? Yeah, six, seven hundred. When That's, this I, inevitable I, vampire <laughs> paedophile cult will be fucking, you know, comes to life. Hey, 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 That space paedophile vampire cult to you, peasant. Space paedophile <laughs> vampire cult will be, you know, will be having to invade Transylvania to shove a fucking stake through Vlad the Impaler's heart just to get a fucking apology out of him. <laughs> Bringing him back from the fucking dead. But still, it, 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 I, do, I do think it's getting... It's getting boring. <laughs> it is. The well, entire, but, uh, come on, to fucking apologise yeah, for the to keep, 100 years ago. Oh, it's just ridiculous. To keep it with the World War Two thing, though, just to kind of wrap it up a little bit, I think we've accepted what happened was terrible and we live this whole thing of going, we should never forget, we should never repeat the atrocities, therefore we need to move on. If we're not going to move on and accept that, Jeremy's, like, apologise, well... Germany's done more than apologise. Germany was destroyed and rebuilt. Japan was destroyed and rebuilt. And in reality, every other country got kind of let off quite easily. We now need to just accept it and move on with the world. So, um, I can't remember who said it, but someone once turned around and said, one of the horrible facts which is hidden away about World War Two is everyone's committing war crimes. All sides yeah. committed war crimes. Yeah. But the greatest war crime you can commit is losing. Yeah. And that's what we've got. The, the only war crimes we look at is the side who lost. Because that's the biggest war crime you can commit, losing. So, History is written by the victors. Just yeah. to say that. <laughs> so, um, I mean, like, look, well, we, never, we never, ever pursued Argentina for taking in Nazis. Because they did. It's quite common yeah, knowledge that Argentina took Nazis into the... Like, yeah, well, they can, keep the them, they can keep their Nazis because we're going to keep the Falklands. So. <laughs> Las Malvinas. <laughs> Should we save the other two conspiracies for next episode? Yeah, can do. Yeah. Just a bit more yeah. time to read into mine. So, yeah. But, yeah, but, yeah I'll, I'm, I'm going to just wrap it up just like Jack did of asking a few questions and whatnot. Just... Firstly, with Unit 731, same thing as with Jack. Do you think that there's more to this than what there is? So, a bit like MK Ultra, where there's definitely bits which are extra hidden away. Do you think there's anything extra with Unit 731, or do you think what we've got is the whole picture? Oh, it's going to be, because wasn't it 80% of the documents were burned? Yeah, so, so, so that's ridiculously high. We're never going to know the full details, but I think that kind of goes with everything, though, isn't it? We're never going to know mm -hmm. exactly what happened everywhere. 
But and it's says, I think, yeah, until well, an administration comes into power that says, you know what, we're going to be fucking frank about everything to gain the public well, even trust then, back. Well, even then, if you think about it, because that was nearly, why is it, 70 years ago? 70, years, yeah. 75 years ago? Like, yeah, it's 75. Like, we're never going to know. People who were there have died. And, like, our chances of knowing actually how it was are slim to none now. Yeah. You know, I remember like, there's no World War One veterans left anymore, and there's very few World War Two. So it's like these little bits of history will just die out with them, sadly. Right. As you say about the um, whole whole sort of thing about as yeah, as it, it's sort of been taken further, I think that there is a high possibility that the if America did take these scientists in, that they could have easily used their research, not necessarily in ways you'd think, but definitely there's a possibility. Definitely. It's all going to get well if their specialty was chemical warfare. Then they're going to use that information, aren't they? <laughs> How can we subdue well, a population quickly and effectively? Well, think about it like this. I know. Um, I think it was you, us, who made a quick joke about it earlier. But think about this: Unit Seven Three One was based in China. It was mainly concentrating on bacterial-based warfare. Um, as part of the biological warfare division and you got to think about what they did to try and find a way to spread a virus or bacterial infection across a populace and either kill them or debilitate them and then look back to kind of what's happening today with covid yes we know it's a virus yes we know it's global now it's in the pandemic stage and anything like that but I think it was very quick for everyone to forget those original conspiracy theories which was coming along at the start, which was hard-based truth, which was it started in Wuhan, in the well, in the district of Wuhan, where they do have a, what's it called now? Is it Pathogenic Research Centre? It's, like, yeah. it's like yeah. their CDC, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it all started from there. And there's been scientists who have tried to speak out about it from there and they have disappeared. And all of that has seemed to be quickly forgotten the moment COVID came to our country, because that became the highlight. Yeah. So, I, I think we should do an episode on that, because that would be good. There, would be, yeah, there is some definitely. juicy details there about those commies. So I, I think it's just important to remember, to link history to the present, and always remembering to learn about your history, because if you don't, you're doomed to repeat countries do experiment with biological weapons they do experiment with bacteria and bacteria and viral strains with the purpose of debilitating or killing a populace and they're still doing it today you're naive if you don't think they're not doing it today well britain has anthrax island isn't it where like we just killed loads of sheep with like anthrax to see what would happen yeah. and yeah. no one can live on that island and now it's just like oh fuck yeah <laughs> but i'm right. gonna leave that food for thought Sweet. Yeah, well. I think we should leave it there then because that's a pretty decent amount of time. So, yeah, that's thank fine. you for joining us. Uh, I'd thank also you. like to express thank yous to everyone who's been watching us and supporting us. Uh, your comments have been greatly appreciated. And, uh, yeah, just hit that subscribe button, hit the bell icon, uh, even follow us on Spotify. Uh, we do have a link tree now as well with every other piece of media that we're on <laughs> so follow that to each one of our things and just give us a like comment on it join the discussion that's what we're here and, for that's what we want you to do so and if you're on instagram at jodcast 
That's J A R D Jodcast. Yeah. Right. Once we hit hundred hundred followers, Dan's going to set up an OnlyFans. Well, so it's, uh, get those numbers pumping. Hey, I'll do it. For Dan needs to pay his rent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, cheers, guys. Thank you for joining us. See you again. Good night from me. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Good night.